Good morning. I'm so glad that you've joined us this morning. I'm Chad Bowen, and I'm the pastor of Moore Memorial United Methodist Church in downtown Winona. At Moore Memorial, we are God's children, sharing the love of Christ through study, worship, and service. Because coronavirus cases are rising around our state and in our area, and because hospitals are approaching capacity or even already there, the bishop has asked us to cancel all in-person gatherings for now. While we know that this is in the best interest of the church and the community, it's hard not to be together, especially with all the efforts that we've made to be safe. And I and all of our church leadership are grateful for your continued prayers, and we want you to know that you're in our prayers too. If there are specific ways that we can be praying for you, I hope that you'll reach out to us online or by phone. Our number at the church is 662-283-3804. If you'd like to give to support our ministries, you can mail a check to P.O. Box 467 in Winona, or you can give online at our website, moorememorialumc.com. That's M-O-O-R-E, memorialumc, like unitedmethodistchurch.com. This week, we finish up 1 Peter 3. I hope that you're continuing to read through 1 Peter each week and that you're seeing more and more the way that the whole letter sticks together. This week, Peter talks about Noah, So we're going to talk a little bit about his story from Genesis 6 through 9 before we jump into the sermon. I'd encourage you to spend some time reading that this week as well. If you have any questions about what I've been preaching or about what it might look like to follow Jesus, I'd love to hear from you this week. Again, that number at the office is 662-283-3804, or you can email me at chad at moorememorialumc.com. As we enter into Genesis 6, God is deeply disappointed with humanity, to the point that he wants to destroy all of humanity and even the whole earth because of the wickedness that he sees, namely the violence that he sees. Genesis 6 tells us that every inclination of the thoughts of the hearts of men was only evil continually, and the Lord was sorry that he'd made mankind. It grieved his heart. So he said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created and all flesh. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. So God tells Noah that he's going to end all flesh because the earth is filled with violence. He says, but you make an ark of cypress wood. And he gives exact dimensions, specific instructions about the animals, that there should be two of every kind except for the clean animals, and there should be seven of every kind of those. And God says, a flood is coming, so build the ark. And Noah does everything that the Lord commands him. Seven days before the flood starts, the Lord tells Noah to go into the ark. And on the 17th day of the second month of Noah's 600th year, the flood begins. And water gushes in from the floodgates of heaven, and it rises up from the fountains of the great deep. For 40 days, the flood gets worse. The rains continue, and the waters continue to rise until even the tops of all of the mountains on the earth are covered. Everything is destroyed, except for Noah and those with him on the ark. And after 150 days, the ark comes to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continue to go down, so Moses sends out birds, first a raven, then a dove that returns empty-handed, then a dove that returns with an olive branch, so Noah knows that things are getting better, and then a dove that doesn't return at all. So he decides it's safe to go out. Almost a year after they go on the boat for the first time, Noah and his family disembark. And Noah offers a sacrifice to the Lord, and the Lord promises that he will never again destroy every living creature. 
And God blesses Noah and his sons, and he gives them very similar commands to what he gave to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And now he expands the offer of what Noah can eat from what he promised Adam and Eve. Not only the plants, but also the animals are good for food. So long as Noah and his children don't eat the meat with the blood in it. And God establishes with a covenant, a covenant with Noah, with the sign of a rainbow and all of his children, that never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. I know that you're probably familiar with this story, but I thought it might be good to hear some of the highlights. And again, I hope that you'll read it this week as a way to re-engage some of what happens in the Old Testament that Peter is drawing on as he writes this letter to the church in Asia Minor uh, in the first century. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the goodness of your word and for the gift of the faith and grace that you have poured out over us in our baptism. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would make your truth real to us, that if we have been baptized, you would remind us of who we are by the power of your grace, and if we have not been baptized, that you would beckon us into the family of faith and into the new birth that you offer to us through water. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who died and was raised again for our sake. Amen. Usually I start with reading scripture, but today I want to talk a little bit about quarantine. Uh, in the early, early Middle Ages in Venice, when the first uh, plague that we really have documented happened, when a boat would come in from a port where uh, they knew that there had been disease there, they would keep all of the people and all of the stuff on the ship for 40 days. We saw this happen some with cruise ships in this pandemic, but 40 days is a long time to be locked out of the place where you think that you need to be. Whether it's because you want to work or uh, because you want to see your family or because you're trying to travel or whatever it is that is, is giving you the motivation to go to sea and to travel somewhere else, it then takes a lot of patience to wait 40 days. 40 days is a long time, and quarantine literally means 40 days. And that's how long Noah was on the ark while it was still raining. 40 days and 40 nights locked up in a boat, and then at least 150 more days waiting for the water to recede. The rain just kept falling from the heavens. The water just kept rising up from the depths of the earth, locked up there with his family and all of those animals for days and months and months. So if you think time is running long in the quarantine right now, just think that you could be locked up in a giant boat that smells like animals have been taking care of business for six months or more. When Noah finally got off the ark, the first thing he did was praise God and make a sacrifice to God, and then he promptly got drunk and did dumb things. I guess months of quarantine with close family can drive you to some strange places. You might wonder why we're talking about Noah this morning as we've been preaching through 1 Peter, but Peter has something to say about how Noah and Noah's experience comes before or prefigures ours. I invite you to hear this word. For it is better to suffer for doing good if suffering should be God's will than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, 
in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What saved Noah? I need you to actually think of what your answer is to this question. If I were to call out through the radio your name, could you say, what saved Noah? If you're watching or listening with someone else, say it to them right now, what you think saved Noah. I'll wait. Some of your answers were probably abstract. Faithfulness, obedience, grace, character, readiness to listen, patience. These are good answers. Some of you might have changed the question a little bit, thinking it was a trick question. When I asked what saved Noah, you might have switched it to who, and your answer was probably God or the Lord. And some of you might have answered it in a more material way. Likely you said the ark, if that's the case. But Peter says something different, something entirely disorienting to us as he talks about Noah. He says that Noah was saved by water, not by the ark. When we say that we think Noah was saved by the ark, it's the flood that is the danger to Noah and the ark that delivers him from the danger. But what Peter is drawing out for us that we might miss in our Bible school memory of the story of Noah is that God was addressing wickedness in the flood of the earth. The enemy was not the water. The water came to destroy the wickedness of the earth. We could say the same thing, that they were saved by water, about the Israelites who Moses leads through the Red Sea, and the waves come crashing down on Pharaoh's army after the Israelites have walked across dry land. You might think, Chad, where'd you get such a great idea? Is that your biblical knowledge? And it's not. It's our baptismal liturgy. In the days of Noah, you saved them on the you saved those on the ark through water. And when you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan into the land which you promised. Over and over and over again in the biblical story, God has used water to save his people. God has always been saving his people through the water, by the water. And so wrapped up in Peter's statement about who Jesus is as a way of telling us how we can endure suffering for doing the right thing, he says Christ also died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. He went so far as to preach to the spirits in hell who did not obey. And then Peter kind of interrupts himself, and he says, 
like even the ones who died for their wickedness in Noah's flood when Noah was saved by water. God waited patiently for Noah to obediently build this giant ark that could hold seven pairs of clean animals and one pair each of unclean animals so that all of them could be carried safely through the flood that would cleanse the face of the earth of wickedness, and they could start over. And then he picks back up talking about Jesus that he does this through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers subject to him. All the way through the letter, I have reminded you that the faithfulness of the church cannot be separated from the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. This is one more place where we see it. Where Peter is talking about the faithfulness of Jesus and he interrupts himself to show us how we are brought in to the grace that Jesus offered to us by his death and resurrection and ascension and glorification and taking the position of power over all other powers that exist. Our salvation is wrapped up in the self-offering of Jesus and in his vindication as he is raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father. And we're brought into that by baptism, Peter says. Jesus saves us, but we're brought into his salvation through the water, brought into it by the water. Baptism isn't only symbolic. This is biblical, and it's the teaching of the Methodist church that baptism is an appeal to God for a good conscience, that baptism does something in us as we are washed by the water. It doesn't just wash the soil off of our skin. It actually changes us. Our other answers about how God saves Noah aren't wrong. We are saved by God. And to be more specific, we are saved by the self-sacrifice of Jesus. We are saved by grace through faith. We are saved for the purpose of obedience but we're also saved by the water. Now, you might say, well, what happens if someone dies and they haven't been baptized, but they have believed in Jesus? Well, the church has always taught that death itself is a kind of baptism. We say that even in our communion liturgy when we say that by the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, Jesus gave birth to the church. We'll come back to that. But the normal way for us to enter into the life of faith is by the waters of baptism. So that's what we're going to focus on today. The work of Jesus, the nature of baptism, and the effects of baptism on our lives going forward. So first, Jesus. It's Jesus who makes it possible for us to enter into the deep waters of baptism and emerge not dead, but with new life. It's Jesus who makes it possible for us to be immersed in the flood that cleansed the face of the earth and yet emerge not killed, but alive with a new birth. The waters of the flood of Noah washed away the wickedness of the earth and all of the wicked people that were accompanied with it. The Lord had grown angry at his creation. He wanted to ball it all up and throw it in the trash like a drawing that we've given up on. 
And instead, he identified the man who was the most righteous of his generation. And he said, I'll start over with him, and we will begin again. And so he sent his word, and Noah obeyed. And when the ark was done, the waters came up from the ground and down from the heavens, and they didn't stop until the whole world had been cleansed, until the whole world had been washed clean. The flood was the judgment of God on the wickedness of the world, and it was the grace of God to the most righteous man in the world. It was both judgment and grace. It cleansed the face of the earth so that Noah could be saved and start new. The instructions that Noah gets after he comes out on the earth is the same kind of stuff that gets said to Adam and Eve in the garden that they should fill the earth with their descendants, that they should rule over the animals and care for them, that they should take them and eat them for food. All of that are the same kinds of instructions that were given to Adam at the new creation. Adam is the first man, Noah is a beginning again, and Jesus himself is the new Adam who brings about the new creation in a way that brings us along with him. Jesus makes it possible for us to enter into the flood and our wickedness be washed away, but for us to emerge not dead, but with new life. We, as wicked people, enter into the cleansing waters of God's flood, and they destroy our old self. And by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's been given the name above every name and seated above the angels and thrones and dominions and powers, by the power of his resurrection, we too are raised to new life. The waters of baptism are no longer only fatal to our wickedness, but they give us new life because of Jesus. It's the fact that the one who calmed the waters at sea shows himself to be the Lord of the sea and the sky, and he entered into the waters of baptism himself and emerged to see the sky ripped open and the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. It's in the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection that makes makes it possible for him to give birth to the church and deliver us from slavery to sin and death. Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith, as our forerunner goes through the baptism of water and the baptism of his crucifixion first, he goes all the way to hell and he emerges victorious, having taken the possibility of salvation in the Lord everywhere that his people are. Not by destroying the world, but by allowing himself to be destroyed for the life of the world. He received all of the wickedness of the world into himself so that he could offer us freedom and righteousness, grace and life. His death and resurrection are the judgment of the whole world and the grace offered to. In the same way that the waters of the flood were judgment of wickedness and grace to Noah, so they are of us. The judgment of human wickedness and the possibility of new life and a new beginning, a new start, a new conscience. Baptism changes us. 
It's the death of our former passions that we had in our ignorance, and it is the new birth that lets us escape the feudal ways of our ancestors and all of their wickedness and live in obedience to God. This is what Peter has been talking about for the whole letter, to leave behind the things that have no future, no hope, that will not last, that are not eternal, and to embrace the things offered to us in baptism that will never fade away. It's the new start that lets us begin to see the world and value it as God sees it. God was at work in you before you were baptized. Even if you were baptized only hours into your life, God was already at work. But your baptism is the anchor point for who you are in Jesus. It isn't your work. It's not your effort to muster faith. It is God's work that is reliable to bring you new life inasmuch as God's work to save Noah through water was God's work through and through. Not Noah's effort, but God's faithfulness to deliver the world from wickedness. It isn't dependent on you. Your salvation is not dependent on you and what you can do and how strongly you can believe and press aside all doubt. Your baptism is simply, your salvation is simply rooted in God's ability to save you through Jesus who's been raised from the dead. Now that doesn't mean that you can just say, I'm baptized and all is well. I can do whatever I want now because I have been washed with the waters of baptism. That is not the freedom of a Christian. What comes with baptism is not a clear conscience, though some of your translations may read that way. It is a good conscience. In other words, it's not that your conscience has been just washed clean so that you no longer carry guilt and shame for the things that you did in your life before baptism. It is a good conscience. It's hard to talk about conscience without talking about Jiminy Cricket. He says, let your conscience be your guide. It's this kind of idea that is scriptural as well. That in baptism, we receive, to some extent, the ability to know the good and to do it. When Peter says that the water comes not to wash dirt from the body, but to, to be an appeal for a good conscience, it's hard not to remember the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And when he gets to Peter, he says, Lord, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus says, if you, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in my kingdom. And he says, okay, Lord, wash my whole body. And Jesus says, if you've bathed, you don't really need me to wash all of you. You're clean. And he says, but not all of you are clean. Some of you, one of you will betray me. Peter isn't concerned about a bath. He's wondering if you've been washed by the Lord. Not just a foot washing, not just a cleansing of your body, but in baptism, have you been incorporated into the death and the resurrection of Jesus. In baptism, we are saved through water. We are saved by water. The waters bring death, but not the kind of death that lasts because Jesus went to hell to proclaim the good news. And he's been raised from the dead. And he comes to offer it to us too. It's the kind of death that allows us to emerge from the water ready to live in righteousness. Not because we are the best of our generation like Noah was, but because in Christ, 
God is starting an entirely new creation. We've been born again into a new family, built into a new house, receiving an inheritance that cannot be stripped away or defiled or marred in any way. Quarantine is long. It's gone on far longer than 40 days. And yet God's salvation is present to us and available to us now. So as you live in this strange world that is much different than we expected 2020 would be, I challenge you to remember who you are in your baptism. That Christ Himself has made it possible for your wickedness to be washed away and for you to be raised in new life and new birth and a new existence to live in righteousness to the Lord, to be about the Lord's work and to see the world as the Lord sees it. And if you've not been baptized, I can't encourage you more strongly to be baptized as soon as possible, to experience the grace of Christ poured out over you, washing over you, cleansing you of all of your sin, not only of your guilt and your shame, but your propensity for sin so that you can live in righteousness to the Lord. Come and enter into the waters, for it is Christ who saves us by faith through grace using water. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the gift of baptism. We pray for all who are not baptized that you would invite them to know that they belong to in this family of faith, in this royal priesthood, in this holy nation, in this chosen race that makes us foreigners to the familiar and brings us into your kingdom. And for those of us who have been baptized, whether we have been far from the church for a long time or whether we have been near and just slipped into the lie that our faith is about what we do. Remind us what you have done for us in Jesus. And remind us what you have done for us by incorporating us into Jesus through the waters of baptism. Deliver us, we pray, from all wickedness and fill us with a good conscience so that we can be, be obedient to you, so that we can be holy as you are holy. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has died and been raised again and sits at your right hand. Amen. Thanks for listening this morning. We pray that it's been a blessing to you to hear God's word proclaimed. This broadcast has been a ministry of More Memorial United Methodist Church. All scripture readings come from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible and are used with permission. And now may you go in peace in confidence of the grace of Christ that is sufficient for you and all of your sin, and trusting God to deliver you from all wickedness and to give you a good conscience that you may faithfully live in obedience to him. Go in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.